Welcome to Holding the Fort Abroad, the podcast for expats with traveling partners. My name is Rhoda Bangater. I'm a certified coach and the author of the book Holding the Fort Abroad. In this podcast, I interview men and women who live abroad and have traveling partners so that we can all benefit from their wisdom and experience. I also invite experts to apply their expertise to this topic. Today, my guest is Kirsten Pontius. Kirsten is an expat. She's a wellness specialist. She works with individuals on their personal well-being, and she also works with international schools to take care of their staff, as they're often forgotten. Kirsten and I met a few years ago in a workshop, and we recently reconnected. I'm looking forward to hearing her perspective on wellness when we are overwhelmed. And that's the main topic of today's episode. Kirsten, welcome. Hi, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Rhoda. It's just so good to be here and to continue the conversation we started a few weeks back. We cut ourselves off because we thought, let's save this for a podcast. And I'm excited to continue. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so first of all, I need to say that it, it is so true that often the staff, the teachers, right, the international teachers who to move in international schools are often forgotten, but they're moving too, and they are yeah. also adapting to a new place. So sometimes the new teacher arrives in a new school, and then they're helping the kids adapt. And yes. so I just think it's brilliant that you are in this space and helping international schools understand and sort of focus on their staff as well. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And then maybe... Tell us a little bit more about your background and your life, your story a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, some of the work I'm doing in international schools really started with some of my background because my husband is an international school educator and we've been together 15 plus years. I, I've lost count because I'm not a, a great, great person with the dates, but around 15 years I've been with him. And so much of my social life abroad has been in with, with teachers and educators, just because this is the world that has moved us around. And so when I started coaching, and even before I trained in my holistic nutrition and, and coaching certifications, I was doing other work in schools um, around yoga and mindfulness and um, some of the things that I had previously been studying. And so all of this has kind of come together, you know, to, to create what I do now. But what, what was happening was I was recognizing how burnt out and overwhelmed these teachers were. And there is so much work and support for students, which is very important. I've got kids myself. Of course, I want TCK trainings and I want the, the work that goes into supporting these kids. Very important stuff. Um, and then there was a lot of around, um, you know, curriculum development and systems and, and some of these pieces for the teachers, but there's very little being done to support them really holistically in the school environment. Because what happens, as you know, when, when we move sometimes for work is that workplace is not just the place that we work in. It's, it's our, our social network. It's where we get answers to, to where to find a dentist. It's, it's all of the things it's, it's where we, we, we make a phone call if, if we have a problem. And so it's really important that the school has this base uh, line of infrastructure and support for these teachers. And as I was working with them, coaching them individually and over the years, so many of the issues were coming down to a lack of support and kind of um, seeing the big picture in terms of what they needed to thrive and, and really do well in, in their professional 
jobs. And, and I think that the schools are responsible for a lot of that. And so I have, I have transitioned, or I should say I have branched off to include work with these schools. And it's allowed me to reach more teachers before I was coaching one-to-one or a small group. And now it's, it's merged into also going into to the schools and and helping support them and recognizing ways that they can make their teachers or help their teachers feel more comfortable, more settled, more grounded to allow them to better do their job. There's this great trickle down effect, you know? So in in terms of your question about kind of my background and and where, you know, how things have evolved, um, I moved overseas with my now husband 15 years ago, uh, we moved to Tbilisi, Georgia. It was just the two of us. And I thought I was going on this short-term romantical, you know, stint with this, this man who at the time was my fiance. So you're both, you're both American? We're both American. But you're both American. Yes. We had mutual okay. friends okay. in the States and we, we reconnected um, while he was mm-hmm. in Singapore, actually. Um, and then mm-hmm. uh, through long distance relationship, we got engaged. So we had never lived in the same country until I had a ring on my finger, which, you know, is a bit crazy looking back on it, but it happens. Yeah, it happens. It happens more often than we yes. think. Yes, it, and it and it has worked wonderfully. And I always used to say we had so many conversations that I think you wouldn't necessarily have if you were in person going miniature golfing or going to the movies because we only had talk. That's all we could do. We weren't in the same country, so if we were going to be together, we were talking. On those days, it was Skype. So I, I moved overseas with him. It was the two of us. I thought we would do it for a couple of years and it would be a fun adventure and then realize that this is really exciting and this was really fun. And OK, maybe we should continue a little bit longer. And then we went to Cambodia. And then uh, in the meantime, we got married and then we got pregnant. And so now I've had two kids overseas, one in Bangkok, one in Romania. We're now in West Africa. And so along the way, uh, several things happened. Um, you know, I left, I had just finished a master's degree in nonprofit NGO communications and, and administration in the States. And I was picking up little bits of work and recognizing that as my husband was getting these jobs at different international schools, you know, finding a project to work on in each country was really time consuming and exhausting. And I started to pick up skills around well health and wellness just out of interest. I, I got my yoga certification. I studied trauma-informed yoga and mindfulness practices in Cambodia in a great studio there that supported the local population. And I was doing a lot around well-being and also recognizing that my peers and, and my husband's colleagues were were really struggling. And there is this sense, I think, especially when you're first overseas of this world isn't real. You're kind of on vacation. You're kind of on this, this funny holiday. You know, it's like you're paying with pretend money and you're having, you know, drinks every night or special foods or everything. And so there was this interesting dynamic I was finding as an expat in my early years of not giving a lot of focus to health and well-being because we were on this great adventure and li- living the life. And so that was kind of the beginning of me thinking about how do you do this long term in a way that is sustainable and maintain your health and still have adventures. And so I was picking up these different skills and I started to do some work at international schools even then around stress, mainly because I was doing a lot of um, trauma informed trainings. I also was working in communications in the early days um, and that's my undergrad. And I was being reminded at how important communicating is to your health and your well-being. 
And when a school communicated really well and was really transparent with their staff, people felt happier. They felt more grounded. And when there was less communication or it was a little bit messier, there was uncertainty and and, and more stress. And so all of these things over the years that I was sort of learning have really molded this business that I have now to help educators. But I, I work with expats of all backgrounds and they not necessarily international school staff, but then also in the schools, understanding that not only do these staff members needs to be taken care of in a, in a really intentional way, but that a piece of that is communicating well and clearly. And I have the skills now to help schools do that. So that's kind of been the journey uh, over the years. My business started really coming together during COVID. I had just finished my holistic nutrition certification and I was just coaching and it turned into workshops and it turned into supporting schools because during that time, everyone was looking for help in, in well-being. And so yeah. it was a really exciting time for my business, even though personally, uh, for most of us, it was a really difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> dealing with stress, wellness when you're overwhelmed, is a topic that I think a lot it's relevant for a lot of people in general. I think it's relevant for a lot of people who move and it's obviously it's it's relevant for people who are living with a partner who's away for work and they're juggling a lot a lot a lot of things so i'm curious like what's your view of stress i heard a definition of stress that said stress is when your resources are lower than what's demanded of you mm-hmm. My view of it is that then you either reduce what's demanded on of you or you increase your resources, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I think wellness and stress kind of go hand in hand, right? But what, what's your take? What's your take on on this? Yeah, well, I have a couple of thoughts as as you're 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 talking about stresses. Uh, you know, for when I talk with clients and organizations about stress levels, one of the things I focus on is that we all have stress. It's natural part of human existence. And there is a purpose to feeling stress. It's not all bad. But what happens in our modern society is that we wake up in the morning and we get an email from a spouse or a colleague that raises our heart rate or the kids jump in and, you know, spill something or, you know, there is this initial kind of um, stress response often that happens. And maybe we fuel it a little bit with some coffee in the morning. But then the problem I find is that we stay in that stress response for most of our day and and a lot of our lives. And we're not meant, our nervous systems are not meant to be in that place. And so when I look at stress, I think that definition is great. But I also work with clients on how can we break up this stress response so that we are not living in it all day, every day. And so a lot of the work I do and the things that we've talked about previously are to help come down to a place of rest and digest so that our bodies can function properly, so that we can breathe, so that we can look around and enjoy life. So that when the next thing happens that does stress us out, our body is more practiced in coming back down from that. And we can go through that cycle more naturally instead of what we often do. And especially, you know, if we're solo parenting and we're the only adult at home managing everything, you can easily get into this adrenaline fueled response where you just maintain it. I've heard clients say, and I can relate to this, you know, sometimes I just ride it. I just, I just take advantage of it. I feel stress and I just think, okay, this is it. I'm going to stay up here in this elevated sense because it's the only way I'm going to get things done. But we know that that's not true because we know that we're more productive 
and we're happier when we're in a state of rest. And the potential for a crash exactly. is higher if you stay in that state. Definitely. So to, but so to somebody who tells you that or who says, listen, there's just no way in my life there's any space for mm-hmm. rest. There is no way I can bring it down. Well, wh- what are your strategies? So I would do I would do two things. One, I would probably run them through an exercise and I'll talk you through briefly. So if anyone at home wants to try it, I, I have an um, exercise that I like doing in one of my workshops and I've used it with many clients. But basically making a list of all the things. And of course, you need a few minutes to do this. So you need to you know, decide some evening that you're going to sit down when the kids are in bed and you're going to give yourself this time to figure this out, right? There's often this initial you know, hour, half hour that it takes to get make things better in the future, which is why coaching is great because I could sit with someone and say, write this down, you know? But if you want to take the time to do it at home, I would encourage you. So making a list of all of your to-dos. Maybe it's, You know, often when I do my workshop, because we don't have all day, I'll say, just write down 10 things you do every day. You know, you pack lunches, you make beds, you maybe make a a phone call to a work colleague, whatever the things are, make a list of 10. So that's an abbreviated version, or you can list every single thing you ever have to do in a week, whatever, however you'd like, and then mark it necessary or unnecessary. And this is where the reflection comes in. Is it necessary? How many of these things are self-imposed? What is your expectation? You have to pack a lunch for your kid every day. Okay, wait, now do you? Do you have to do that every day? And so taking the moment to really assess these things, is this necessary or do you tell yourself it's necessary? Or do you have the outside pressure of the society around you or the community around you making you feel like you should? And when there's a should in the response, I always say, wait a minute, wait a minute, should? Who who said who said you should? So that's the first step, really assessing are these things necessary? And I love telling, having people do this. When I first created this exercise, it was during the pandemic. And a lot of people were coming back to me and saying, well, I did this with my husband, or I did this with my partner, or I did this with my kids because it was helpful for them to say, oh, well, you don't have to do that. I don't care. Or what happened with me when I did it on my own, with my own family was my husband said, well, I'll do the laundry. I don't, I, that's easy because I was listing, well, I have to do the laundry and I have to cook. And so there is also this magic that can happen when you share this conversation. And then the second piece is you go through that same list and you tell, you ask yourself, is this giving me energy or is this sucking my energy? Now, you know, I want to admit that in both of these situations, whether it's necessary or not, whether it's energy sucking or energy giving, of course, there is some gray area. It could be situational. It could depend on the day, the amount of rest you've had. But in general, it's just a reflection exercise. So then you look at it and you say, okay, well, there's all of these unnecessary items that I've identified and half of them suck my energy. Why am I doing them? Easy. Boom, boom, boom. Get rid of those, right? Or maybe there's then this list of necessary things that are also sucking my energy. Okay, what could we delegate? What could we make more fun? What could we listen to some music or watch some fun TV shows while we do the folding the laundry? You know, how could we make it so that our energy is not being sucked by those things? Maybe as much. We talk a lot in behavior change about this 10%. Can we make it 10% easier, 10% better? Can we move forward 10%? We know that that is kind of a a signal to to our brains that we're not trying to do it all. We do this little bit, we accomplish it because 10% is doable. And then we feel good and we think, oh, okay, well, I did that. 
I guess I could do 10% more tomorrow or next week or next month. And that's how we change our behavior. Ah, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and in the way, I suppose, then um, it's finding time, right? Because you're looking at what's sick in your energy. You're actually reclaiming time and energy. Absolutely. So there, that would be probably the first thing I would do. Because a lot of times when someone says, I just don't have the time, I often will suspect that maybe there are some things that could give. And I say to clients, something has to give. It's either the to-do list or it's mm. your health. So what is it going to be? Mm. And really just focusing on that list. But then the second thing I would say is bringing yourself down from that stress response. doesn't It doesn't mean you have to book a yoga class or take a weekend away or have a spa treatment. You can do it in two, two minutes. And one of the, my favorite things to talk about with clients who are really busy is a breath point. So what a breath point is, is you have different actions or moments of your day that you assigned a breath point. So when I first kind of created this idea or started to think through this idea, I was doing this around laundry, around driving, because at the time I was living in Romania and I found the driving really aggressive and stressful. And I noticed every time I got in the car that my heart rate would go up and, you know, I would start to get anxious. First cup of coffee, you know, I had several of these moments and I would take three to five deep breaths. I would just stop myself from the crazy, from the busy, from the go, go, go. And I would just take a few deep breaths. Even that, and this comes a lot from my yoga training, even that moment of bringing your system down, it teaches your body how to do it. So you're actually kind of flexing a muscle. And the more you do it, the easier it is for your body to take a breath in between the stress and to calm, find that calm place. So the more you insert it intentionally, eventually it will come more naturally. And then I'll find myself taking three deep breaths when I realize that I'm I'm kind of getting a bit frazzled or frantic. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Question. So question. So how do you recognize that you've come down enough? Because sometimes if you're running on this adrenaline, you're running, you can feel it buzzing. It's this buzz, mm -hmm. right? And then you take your three breaths and then you carry on, carry on, carry on, buzz, buzz, buzz. How do you recognize that you've come down enough and long enough? And often enough. I mean, I don't know that there's a rule for how long or how often, but I think the idea again is that you're training your body to break up that response. And for me, I would say heartbeat is a really easy one. If your heartbeat, I mean, my heartbeat is is fairly quick at the moment because I'm excited. I'm talking about something I love, you know, I'm you know, having this fun conversation with you. But if you take a few deep breaths, three to five, you should notice that the heartbeat slows a little bit. And so even placing your hand on your chest, and again, a lot of this comes from my yoga training, one hand on chest, one hand on belly. And if you get that breath all the way through the chest into the belly, and then all the way out, and you feel both hands move and expand, that's also really bringing attention to the breath and to the body. It's also encouraging them that breath go deeper, right? So if you are noticing your stress, your breath is going to be high in the chest and you're going to feel that breath here. And a lot of times when someone is anxious or incredibly overwhelmed, they struggle to take a deep breath because they're so tight, right? And they're just working in this efficiency place of, of this high breath. So even a hand on the, the chest and the belly, five deep breaths, bringing that breath all the way in and you're going to feel the heartbeat go down slightly. And certainly it might go back up, but it might go not go up quite as high as it was before. And you do this for a week or a month and your body's going to get 
accustomed to this. Okay, I'm I'm being told I'm safe. This is essentially what we're doing. You're telling yourself, your body thinks you, that you're in danger all day long, right? Something's happening. It goes back to that saber-toothed tiger is attacking. But in those caveman days, we'd fight off the tiger or we'd run away and then our systems would go back down. And we've been conditioned mm. over time to not allow that to happen. So we're saying to our bodies, you're okay. You're safe. You know, you can put both feet on the ground. That's, a, you know, helpful and grounding and um, helping, you know, again, to signal to the body forehead to the floor. If you're really, if you're really feeling overwhelmed, forehead to the floor is a great one. So child's pose in yoga um, is, you know, how we start and, and close a lot of practices. Um, that's a good signal to the body. So you're essentially trying to tell your body, Hey, you don't have to be up, up here in this place. You're safe. Few deep breaths is a really quick and easy way to maybe not easy, but hopefully it will become easy. Um, and then to, to test it, I think it's the heartbeat. I think that's a good, a good measurement. That's a good one. That's a good one. I remember uh, when I was struggling with this, I used progressive muscle relaxation. Yes, yes. a body. Scan. That was really good. Yes. yes. And they said that, you know, as you you go through, you start with your feet and, and work your way up, you know, tensing and relaxing, tensing and relaxing, and it mimics the flight and yep. fight response. And uh, But it actually then relaxes your body. And I found that extremely yes. useful as Would well. Be. Okay. That's great. Okay. Sometimes I'll even encourage a client if they have a couple of minutes, and I know that that's often not what you have, but if you have a couple of minutes to put on, you know, three minutes of, of calm music or, or give, and, and when we are feeling really busy and really jam packed with things to do, I always Mm. encourage a timer, make yourself give it three minutes. You know, you can spare three minutes. You don't need to think about anything for three minutes and it mm. creates these boundaries around I'm going to mm. relax for three minutes and then I can be busy again but it gives your body permission to not be going oh but wait a minute I have to change the laundry oh wait when do I pick up the kids is it time to pick up the kids no you've got three minutes set the timer listen to some music or take your breaths but you know that that buzzer will go off and that you're going to be just fine picking up where where you were oh, I really like that I like the timer and then the tying it to something during the day, like, oh, I'm in traffic, right, I'll do my breaths. Or So you're tying it to something that's practical that you're doing anyway, yes. but then you're creating that reflex that, oh, this is a situation that might be stressful or that I can do my breaths at the same time. Really? And I think also kind of tying this body to the mind kind of thing, isn't it? It's kind of connecting... Yes. Because sometimes stress can do that. It can disconnect you a little bit from you and your body's just like buzzing and then you really? kind of can't quite cool it down. Yeah. And so bringing it back to this grounding and, and to the body, I think is, is, I found it extremely helpful. Absolutely. And that's called habit stacking. And I do a, a lot of that when I'm working Okay. Yeah. Right? It's mm-hmm. putting two habits together. Mm-hmm. One that you already do. I still remember when I first mm-hmm. discovered this, this idea years ago, I had a physical therapist and I had had an injury and we were just having a conversation and she said, yeah, I do squats when I brush my teeth because I've been working on my leg strength. And so every time I brush my teeth, I do squats for two minutes, you know, br- and I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, and, and then, you know, it, you can do it with anything, but it's a great method to kind of, when you couple those habits, it really helps change the behavior. It helps bring in that new, that new piece. Yeah. Now you have one that's my absolute favorite and that we talked about when we 
had a chat a few weeks ago and like I've literally I've been I've been doing it like it pops into my head and I'm just like oh my word it works so I don't know is this the right is this a good time to talk about that okay go for it so well I think you're talking about plan b and minimums right that's the one yes Yes. okay so one really big piece of the work that I do that applies to most people that I work with and and you know we talk about everything from nutrition to relationships to exercise stress management of course but I have um, sort of come up with this method called that I call the plan B and B stands for baseline. And the idea is that when we look at our health and our wellness, there's a couple of things that are important. One of them is that you feel like you're in the driver's seat. You don't want to be reacting when it comes to your health and your wellness. You want to feel like empowered. I am the driver of my well-being, right? And it's important when we look at our health in building routines and automation, because that allows us to take away, you know, the the thoughts and all of the decision making, right? It reduces decision fatigue when we already have so much going on. So routine and automation is really important. And so in order to do that, when we have such changing and transient lives, I'm not talking about somebody who's back home, who goes to the same grocery store and the same bank and the same school for 20 years straight. When we're moving, when our spouses are traveling or when they're not, there is so much disruption that feeling in control and feeling like you have routines is really difficult. And so I came up with one of my clients years ago, this idea of having this baseline plan. And this is the idea that when life gets busy, maybe you're in a transition, maybe you have a spouse traveling, maybe you have a kid who's sick, maybe you're sick, that you have a baseline or a minimum amount of practices and actions in your life that you maintain in order to keep your sanity. So I often encourage when someone is building this plan B, and I have a module on this in my my small group course that I run, is you look at stress, nutrition, and exercise. Those are kind of the three pillars that I often start with. Now, I'm a holistic coach. And as you said, with stress, it affects so much more in our life, which is why being holistic, I think, is so magical because our sleep can be affected by our nutrition, which could be affected because our spouse is traveling, you know, all the things. So I often encourage people to start with those three basics, but it's very natural that you would merge into other topics and think about at minimum, what do I need to do to manage my stress at minimum? right? We're not talking about trying to start a new meditation habit or something big. It's not, it's not time to reach. It's not time to be growing. It's time to maintain. So what is a good maintenance? And then same with nutrition. What do I need to do to make sure that I fuel my body in a way that is just going to get me through this tough time? And then same with exercise. How can I maintain a little bit of movement. And of course, exercise and and all of these pieces might look a little slightly different if you're ill or if it's your kid who's sick or, you know, you're not going to go out for a run if you're, you know, have a fever. But generally speaking, you know, and I've also worked with clients who have had multiple plan B's. So maybe there is one for, you know, when they're sick, maybe there's one for when the spouse is traveling, maybe there's one for when they're traveling, um, who's really gotten into this because they thought, well, if I think about this ahead of time, then when it happens, I know what to do. I'm totally in control. And there's obviously an element of flexibility that often, you know, you might need to bring into it, but having a general idea before you get into that situation is so helpful. 
And so that's the thing that connected us when we first talked, Rhoda, is this, this, this idea of maybe there's a different plan and a different routine for your health when your spouse is home and when they're not. And that can apply to all those different seasons of life. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, I remember talking to somebody about balance. It was for an article I was writing for a a women's magazine. And and, um, but then I was, but then I came across, you know, as I was doing my research and stuff and you're like, well, balance really sometimes it's, it's not always feasible because, because, you know, somebody's sick or you're doing an extra training or there's a, Sometimes there are periods in life where it is unbalanced Mm -hmm. and those can be situations where we become overwhelmed. Those can be more permanent situations and it's not really so good. I think this comes back to sort of what we were saying about having these moments where we also need periods where it does calm down a little bit. So factoring those in a bit. But but then having this this minimum for those times is absolutely genius because then a you're not thinking about it like you said and also somehow it does something to the commitment level mm-hmm. yeah I don't know but it suddenly you're thinking no but hey I need this this is my bare minimum to actually be okay so actually we've had some busy weeks recently and I've but and I've been taking my supplements and I've been you know walking and, and yes. eating well and like yeah, because that's my minimum to keep going. I'm like, oh my word, it works. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, it's just it. consciously, yeah. And and before I think I would have done, I need to, or I have to take my supplements. But now I'm like, wait, it's my bare minimum. So I don't even think about it anymore. Yes. It's like done. Well, and that's the, that's the thing, Rhoda, taking away the thinking is so important because when you're in the moment, when everything mm. is overwhelming, that is not the time to be deciding, should I take my supplements, right? We're trying, we're trying to remove that moment of decision-making when you're already overwhelmed with all of the things you have to figure out in life, removing and automating. Yeah. Yeah. That's the magic. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't even have to kind of remember to do it because it's part of, then I think it just becomes part of your you know, what you have set up for yourself. And often that is the first thing that we tend to let go of when we're busy. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, it's fine. I don't have time. I know it only takes five minutes, but let's, ah, you know, I'm not even thinking before I wouldn't even think about not, I'd be like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm already off. Absolutely. I'm stressed and I'm already on the next thing, you know, whereas now I'm like, wait, hang on a minute, do this first and then do, and it doesn't take me any more time. Oh. Definitely. I think this is a really helpful concept to have in mind. And it allows for that oxygen mask idea of you put on your own oxygen mask first, right? At bare minimum, mm. you need to be able to breathe to support the mm. rest of your family and to do your other yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 And I think it's a long-term thing as well, because sometimes we feel like, oh, but I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And it's this accumulation that sometimes catches us. Yes. at the end of the day so watching out for that yeah um I mean these are great strategies it's not healthy to stay in that fight or flight is it it's not healthy no it's not I mean I think um when I was when I was researching this years ago I remember coming across a statistic that we're meant to have a kind of that elevated stress response one to three percent of our lives and if you think about that that's insane. one to three percent yeah 
right? Because it's this idea that you should be reacting to something stressful. You choose to fight, freeze, or fly. Wait, now I got them wrong. <laughs> fight, fight, or freeze. Yeah. Yes. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and whatever you choose, you know, you make that choice and then you move on. You know, I think taking, you know, taking the breath points and kind of back to that piece of it too, taking the breath points to come down. But I also think, you know, one of the the, the things kind of related to this plan B that can support some of this, you know, you asked, how do people do this when they're feeling like they have too much and there's no time. Um, I also encourage people to think about a little bit of a morning or evening routine because those are good times also to either start the day calm or calm down before bed. And a lot of times when you hit your your pillow and then your mind is racing, it's because you didn't have any time throughout the day to process anything. And so it's all happening at night. And so even giving yourself a 30 minutes, turn the lamps down or the lights down, play some music, signal to your body. It's time to relax. You're safe. You know, that's going to also help you sleep better. I mean, these things are just so Mm. interconnected, but that's another thing, you know, I, I kind of, um, you know, only gave the breath point example, but coming back to that question of how do you bring your system down when you're so busy? I think that a morning routine or, or, and, or an evening routine can also be really helpful. The morning, one of my favorite tips that I like to encourage for clients who are really busy and rushed Um, especially in the mornings is to start your morning with an in bed meditation. And there are actually wake up meditations. I love insight timer, but there's a call map. There's all kinds of, you could do a prayer, you could do a song, but I really like, there are some specific um, wake up meditations that will literally say, stretch your arms. It's going to be a great day, you know, and just kind of sets the tone for your morning. It's 10 minutes. You don't even have to get out of bed. So if you're somebody who hits snooze or who really pushes it to the last minute, why not listen to a meditation while you're lying in bed? And even that little moment is allowing your body that reminder of like, you're going to do okay today. You're starting off in a little bit calmer calmer place. I have a client I'm working with right now who is really struggling with her morning routine, getting herself ready, getting her son ready, getting out the door on time. And so we started with an in-bed meditation and then she has set timers, music timers. So then she'll play five minutes song and that's her five minutes in the bathroom to do her makeup and to do her hair. It gives her a good idea of the time, helps her manage her time but it maintains this, this calm morning flow of, you know, classical piano music while she gets herself ready. And then she goes and she feeds her son. And then, you know, and, and so even though you have a busy crowded morning and lots of things to do to get out the door, we're not necessarily waking up any earlier, but we're just changing a little bit about how we move through that in the mornings, getting intentional about a routine again, takes away decision fatigue you know, I know what I'm going to do first. I've got five minutes in front of the mirror to do my hair and makeup. Then I'm going to feed my son. There's no thought behind it. It's boom, 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 automatic. Of course, there are accidents, there are spills, you know, there are things. But again, taking control, taking the thinking out of it and adding some calm to those mornings and evenings can be really helpful. That is great. That is great. And for families who live like this with the uh, partners who are away, uh, traveling, uh, both traveling. This is this is the lifestyle. You're constantly on the go. It's very busy. You're juggling a lot, a lot of things. So all of these are very feasible, I think, and, and necessary. 
I would say. I mean, it's interesting. I've just literally a couple of days ago interviewed Dr. Laura Anderson, and uh, she's a psychologist, and she was saying that the families that live like this, they're constantly under this stress. Um, she was explaining like there's so the arm, and then I can't remember exactly. Yeah, we'd have to go back and listen to it. Yeah. But um. So basically the part of the brain that's to do with logic and, and all of that gets flipped when you're stressed. And so, and she says families that live, that live like this constantly live like that. Mm-hmm. So or anything, any resources that you can adapt and put into life like that while you're living it, yes, I think is, is vital. Well, and we pass these things down and that's one of the re- reasons I've gotten so passionate about supporting teens mm. is because I have kids now too kids in an international school. And I don't want them to learn from me or from anyone else that you have to survive, live like this, that the only way to get through a day is to be adrenaline fueled, frantic and, and bustling and crazy and overwhelmed. I, I, the kids, kids pick up on this. And I think part of the reason that we struggle with it as adults is because this has been passed down to us, this kind of work ethic. It's, it's, it's seen as, I mean, this is a a cultural piece that um, I work on with clients a lot of like, well, but if I take care of myself, I feel guilty. If I, if I don't cook dinner, you know, I feel guilty. You know, I'll talk to clients and I'll say, find a takeout restaurant that has healthy meals. That's affordable. And do that every Wednesday, you know, find ways to outsource. You don't have to do everything that comes to that down to that. Is it really necessary? Right. And I'll have clients say, oh, but I I just feel, I feel bad if I don't do it. Right. Because we've been conditioned to feel like pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You work hard, you get it done. That's what life is about, but that doesn't have to be what life is about. That's, that's that more recent, you know, and since kind of industrial revolution times and, and, and beyond this idea of the grind of like, go, 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 go. It's been conditioned. I don't want that to continue in my kids or anyone else's kids. And so when I have a client that really struggles with it, I will often say, do you want your students? Do you want your child to feel like this when they're an adult to live like this? Is this fulfilling? Mm, Yeah. And of the time they'll say no. We, you, yeah. you, have to, you have to show them how you take breaks, how you take a breath, how you let someone else cook dinner for you so that you can put your foot up, feet up and, and yeah. color with them and, and read a book. Yeah. But it's interesting. I noticed you didn't say, well, you, you know, we have to go back to living in one place and just staying in that place. And we have to completely change our lifestyle. And this is a, a big thing for me. And I ask a lot of my guests, this is like, so it's not about changing the lifestyle. No, it's about living the lifestyle, but putting things in place that makes it so that exactly what you've just said, you're not living in this constant um, stress and overwhelm, but you're, you're actually managing to bring your body down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, it's very easy to say, well, if I were home in one place, this would be easier, but it's really not true. I've had clients that are are in the States, even though they've never lived abroad. So, you know, I can attest to the fact that 
it's not necessarily easier. It's just different. These are all skills that we need to learn. And even though we might be moving or we might have, you know, spouses that are are in and out of our lives, there are skills that we can use to take care of ourselves that is going to support thriving and enjoying the life that you do have. And it, you know, it's like that idea of choosing your heart. Everything is going to be hard, no matter what, there's always hard. We're going to have challenges and suffering, but you choose it. And there's a lot of ways that you can choose it in your health. And okay, it's hard to maybe get up and do my morning walk when I'm feeling tired, but I'm going to choose that hard thing instead of my knees getting achy and my body feeling unused, (laughs) unutilized. That's true. That's true. That's very true. It's a lot of intention. I think there has to be. Mm. And when we live such an alternative or a non-traditional life. And what I love about like your podcast and other expats in our community that talk about these topics is that it doesn't feel like an alternative lifestyle. It feels like there's community around it and there's support and there's people. And I think that's so important and so magical because when I started this journey and so many of us did, it felt so strange. I'm, I'm not a TCK. So raising them is really foreign to me. So I think, um, you know, it's interesting to sort of just remember that we do have communities around us and that this choice, you know, can, can also be very healthy. I mean, my book, I have a book called moving abroad with your health and sanity. And that's one of the things that I talk about in this people live this life. It's a wonderful life. You still have to choose to be healthy and take care of yourself. And everyone in the world has to do it. You just have to do it maybe in a little bit different way, which is which is why I, I got into this work. It does look a little bit different to care for yourself when you're moving every three years and when you're traveling and when, you know, it does look a little bit different, but it's doable. And you help people with um, food intolerances and stuff as well, right? Moving. You talk about that in your book as well. Yeah, yeah. The, I, um, I'm i very passionate about food and nutrition. And so I've had a lot of clients come to me and say, you know, I'm traveling and I am um, uh, I have a peanut allergy or I'm gluten-free or, um, you know, dairy intolerant or these pieces. Or I've also had clients come to me and say, hey, my doctor said this. And so here, here's what I need to do and how... How do I do it? Because, you know, the medical profession will tell you what you need in order to be healthy, but they're not going to support you in, let's find a recipe that has foods are available in your local community, which are not necessarily, you know, easy for you to cook or that you even know about, right? So I do a lot with um, nutrition and supporting, especially when you're moving. How do you eat healthy in a brand new country where you can't read the labels, and, you know, and you have a soy allergy, for example, or your kids do. I mean, it's, it's really challenging. So yes, I definitely love that kind of support work of, I know I need to do, make this change. I've already decided on the behavior change, but I need help implementing it. And that's really mm. fun. Well, I think you've had some, you've, you've given some really, really important messages today about bringing your your levels down of adrenaline, not not staying at that level, about not passing this down and, and putting these strategies in place because it can be a good life. It's just about being being intentional. And, and um, you worded it 10 times better than I just have in my attempted summary. But um, hopefully it'll all be in the show notes. 
is there anything you want to add before we wrap it up? And are you taking clients right now? How can people reach you? That will also be in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. So I take one-to-one clients. I also do twice a year, something called a health refresh. It's a five-week program. That's a bit of a hybrid. You can do a little bit online, a little bit live with me. Um, It's really good for busy moms and families, dads, those that don't feel like they have the time to commit to coaching, which is, you know, a little bit more um, time intensive. Um, and so I run that twice a year and I also offer it to organizations and international schools to do for their, their staff and community. Um, so I'll have another one in September. I'll start one and it, I get women, men, individuals from all over the world. That's really fun. I, I offer the opportunity for them to connect not only with me, but with each other. And then we talk about those pillars and we start with time, start with time management. How do you find time for this program? Because most people join and they say, well, I really want to do this, but I don't have a lot of time. And so we start with the first week just talking about how much time is this going to take? You know, 20 minutes a week, 30 minutes a week, not a lot. But then when are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? And then we move into nutrition, exercise, stress management, and we wrap up with some behavior change techniques to help us really get those things to stick. So that's my most popular program. And I, I have a waiting list for that. So anyone can email me. You can I can offer some info in the show notes. But then I, I'm taking one-to-one clients as well starting in September. So I'm full at the moment, but starting in September. So in the next couple of months, there'll be a lot of opportunity to, to connect. Fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for this conversation. Thanks for your input. And uh, yeah, thank you yeah. so much. It was really fun. Thanks for having me, Rhoda. It was wonderful. Oh,